Hey listeners, it's Paul Andriola here. Why not join our community at Small Cap Discoveries where we offer our members direct access to some of the best microcap investment opportunities available. Our members are getting access to premium microcap financings, research reports, and direct access to management. Sign up today at www.smallcapdiscoveries.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Small Cap Discoveries conference call. Today on our call, we have the founder and CEO, Hadi Abassi from Atlas Engineered Products. Atlas trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol AEP, and it also trades on the OTC under APEUF. The company is currently trading at 70 cents with roughly 59 million shares outstanding or about a $41.5 million market cap. I'd now like to hand it over to Paul Andriola. Okay, thanks, Trevor. Um, I think everybody's come to know Hattie uh, over the last uh, couple of years, uh, so I'm very happy to have Hattie back with us. Um, before I start, I want to remind everybody that uh, I am a director of Atlas Engineered Products, so um, I have to wear my director hat today. I will try to ask as many pointed questions as I can and um, really want to do this a little bit differently where it'll be a little more casual, a little more of a fireside chat. Um, but I really encourage everybody uh, that's listening, if you've got questions, and I encourage that you do, uh, please just uh, use the chat function, um, ask away, and then both Hattie and I will do our best to, to answer the questions. Um, so let's get started. Hattie, great to have you here today. Uh, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I am, right uh, I'm pretty good, thank you. Yeah, a little yeah. bit scatterbrain, busy day, and I've got to fly out tonight, so I'm, uh, I'm in the anxiety mode, but uh, thank you for having <laughs> me. And you guys are my favorite, although I get lots of questions from your team and stuff. I love them and I love you guys. You've been with me from day one and and I was look, I've been really looking forward to this call. So that's right the honest on. to something. Right yeah, thank you. But well, I was I'm tired, but good. Okay, good. Well, we'll have a little bit of fun today. Um so look, I mean, um you know, we we uh, we put out our Q3 numbers. Um, I think uh, by the response of the stock price, and uh, certainly by the calls I've been getting, and some of the comments from some of our listeners and our SED members, um, people were pleased with the results. Um, Hattie, why don't we we talk a little about Q3? What what's what's sort of the lay of the land? What's what's happening in the business? And um, uh, let's just jump into it. Like what 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 happened in Q3? It really, Paul, what happened in Q3 is no different to what happened in Q2, Q1, and last year. Since we uh, came, uh, since we be, I, I came in charge and Gurmita and Melissa, we, we changed the team, right? So we've been doing the same consistent, consistent things. We're growing, we keep an eye on business, we do the organic growth, but we are absolutely very serious about making money. Because once you have a big, healthy bank balance, it will open up a whole new doors and new possibilities for you. And hence, you see, we buy share bags. We are pretty aggressive on M&As and everything because having a few million bucks in the bank changes the outlook out there, right? Mm -hmm. So we are not doing anything different. We learn, we're learning more and we are gaining more experience about how to do business and we're getting better as we go along every day. Otherwise, it's the same story. Like, and I was really surprised the response we got for the market this time than we didn't do it last quarter or the quarter before or the quarter before. It was just to me, it made, I'm, I'm happy about it. I'm excited that O'Shea is in that 
Not there yet, but we are in a little bit respectful domain of 70 cents, 75 cents, hopefully. And we get there, it should be about $1.50 or two bucks, but it gives you a little bit of a positive outlook. But it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. What did we do different this quarter? That we made a, we made yeah, a few percent more in margin, but we've been doing it in gross margins. We made thirty five percent or something. But we told the market we like making profit and we like making money, and that's our number one goal is you make profit and then everything else we make happen. So, mm-hmm. so really, I mean, uh, I even talked to you the other day. It makes no sense to me. Why would they all of a sudden jump last quarter? Even knows that you know. I know yeah. I know the market is bad. But one thing I see is different if it comes. Even I was having a meeting with Gurmita Melissa, there is a certain calmness in our voice that maybe finally people in the market and the public domain have accepted that, hey, maybe these people know business and they know how to run a business and mm-hmm. they started to believe in us. And that gives us confidence and it makes us not, I shouldn't say feel good, like we're honored that people feel good about us, mm-hmm. feel like that about us, that they can trust us, mm-hmm. that we know, we have learned how to do business a certain way, and yeah. we have learned to run it. We've been doing it for over 35, 40 years, for God's sake. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's, it's just maybe that acknowledgement we needed from them or some kind of respect from it that it shows in there. But otherwise, the rest, I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> Well, Hedy, you know what? I, I, I sort of asked the second question first. I should have asked the first question first. Um, you know, some, some of the listeners um, maybe don't really know what Atlas is all about. Why don't you give a brief uh, description of what Atlas Engineered uh, does as a business? As a business, we manufacture roof trusses, wall panels, and floor panels, and we design them. We design, we manufacture. And Really, and uh, the wall panel is a new product. We added to it a couple of years ago. And those are the areas we, uh, we concentrate. This is what we know best. This is what we do. And that's what we do. Every operation, we do the same. And being as part of a public trading company, the other thing we do, Atlas Engineer product, we have a growth mandate and we have a roll-up mandate that we keep on moving forward and growing the company. So there is different avenues of increasing the revenue in a company. One is the organic growth and applying uh, uh, new products and new procedures. And the other one is to m And that's what really AAP does. But the main core is where the business started first in 1999 was we built roof trusses. And what I mean by building roof trusses, I know I've said it before, and I keep explaining myself, we don't just put two pieces of lumber together. We design it. We have sophisticated system and software system and engineering system that we take a set of plans at, at the conception mode when a developer needs to build a home. Even they come to us with their ideas, with the architect. And we design the building, the structurally sound building for them. And we build a partnership with the developers, and that's how we move forward. From That's what Atlas does and all of the branches do. So then first we did the process. Then we organic growth, organic growth, we added the engineer wood product. Then we added the truss floors, floor trusses for the buildings there. And now the next big revolution and move for us is the wall panel. And it all comes about efficiency, cost, the sophistication of the buildings, the engineering, and shortage of labor. And as a component manufacturer, we start, we are in the right place to cash into those opportunities. It doesn't happen overnight. 
But in the long term, in a proper manner, that's what we do. We are a component manufacturer. Of but the thing about it is process goes on top of a house, but that's what they hold the house together. And it's a sophisticated engineer product. And that's what really Atlas does. Mm-hmm. And main core was always trusses and is, but now the main cores become engineered wood. Mm-hmm. And now the main core and even bigger possibilities of all kind of work. And they'll be gearing up to be ready for that. Perfect. Um, okay, now we'll go back to Q3. Uh, yeah. So appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so so I think one of the things that, you know, the investors I spoke to, one of the things that, that probably impressed them the most was the fact that even though revenues were somewhat subdued, call them flatlined, um, the gross margins improved. Now, theoretically, that's not really supposed to happen, right? There, there's inflationary pressures, there's all sorts of other pressures. And if, if revenues stay the same, usually you see a little bit of a margin shrink. Um, and in, you know, in our case, we also had lumber prices really influence what the what sort of our pass-through revenues look like last year. But this this quarter we had lumber prices at probably the lowest levels we've seen in at least two years. How is it you, you know, we were able to improve gross margins? What was it that drove gross margins this quarter? You see, when you uh, when you work on a gross margin, it's not a black and white. It's not just taking cost and multiply it by your markup. When you start saving money and it's become like saving penny, everything counts from cutting costs to cutting travel costs, cutting manufacturing costs, cutting your purchasing, cutting everything. And all those little pennies start adding together. Now, we have always done that. We have always been conscious of our costs and our expenses and our overhead and our material costs. The one area I think it was there with the lumber changing and stuff, there with the buying power and stuff, we were able to do a really good buying on the engineer wood products and the engineer glue lamp and everything like that. We were able to buy good. And we were able to manage our inventory in a proper manner. So that way, when, uh, when you manage your inventory in a proper manner and based on your orders and everything there, we were able to do that, and then that all contributes to the bottom line with our cost and stuff. Because usually, in a normal business, if you don't have the inventory managed program like the way we do, and when the lumber fluctuates the way mm-hmm. it has done, your margins, your everything fluctuates all over the place. And sometimes you think, oh, the lumber's gone high or by a little bit, or the lumber's cheap or by a lot. Sometimes they work against you. We have a consistent program of our purchasing program because of user blender management. And what do we do? We concentrate on just keeping our margins and our overhead low and stuff because those are the areas we control. So the areas we control is what we charge a client at based on a consistent margin is watching our costs and we become cost effective and cost efficient as operations. And those are the areas we manage and we always have an eye on it. And every month, every quarter, it improves the lake. A little bit more for us, or it could have been like we had some orders from the old lumber pricing that uh, we had done a contract, we signed it, and everything there that we did it, and we did the better purchases on lumber, so improved the margin. So there is a combination of a lot of things. So when I always looked at a business, how to make profit, it's like you're saving pennies everywhere, mm-hmm. even cutting the heating down 
that saves your pure penny. So you look at all different avenues rather than just concentrating on one avenue. And that's what we do all the time in business. We pay attention to that area, and that's how it comes to. And usually fluctuates within 1%, 2 3%, either goes up or down, as long as you are above that 30%. Mm-hmm. That's our goal line, and that's what we we uh, we work towards there. Mm-hmm. But we have always looked at it as a like a ten dimension way of saving money. Mm-hmm. It's just pennies everywhere. Yeah. Um. So okay, let's talk about lumber prices a little bit because one of the things I've learned sort of with the business is it almost doesn't matter if lumber prices are high or if they're low. Really, what what's hard to manage is the volatility. I think you explained a little bit of that yeah. away uh, with with the vendor management program, but yeah. that really is sort of the key here. If lumber yeah. prices can stay sort of less volatile, it's it's easier to run the business. Is that correct? It's much easier to run the business, and it's easier for our salespeople, and is uh, is easier uh, for our uh, costing and clients everything. Mm-hmm. But it's not. It's up and down. It's up and down every time. And that's why when we see it, when it becomes really volatile, then what we do, basically, we will price the final invoice at the moment we manufacture it. Mm-hmm. That one, you need to have a lot. You need to be brave to tell a client like that. But why do it any other way? Why do it for nothing? Mm-hmm. Right? So we need to be cognizant of that volatility. It's not our fault. Mm-hmm. It's the way the business is. And if you are not handling that volatility with the firm, like through one, some of most of my MAs I do with companies when I look at the statement, it looks amazing. The revenue skyrocket. But you look at bottom line and then when you tell them you've been working and it's stressed out for nothing, you make nothing. Or I kept the clients happy, big deal. Mm-hmm. They will change tomorrow if somebody else comes cheaper, that type of client. Mm-hmm. Because bottom line matters there. So those are it's a, it's a whole different approach to business that you can be in the survival mode about it. And if you're paying a dollar for a lumber, you need to charge dollar thirty for it. And mm-hmm. that's it. It's business. Yeah. And 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 I think what I've learned from what we have learned from lately from our client is they actually love it because they know where they stand. That they can they can factor that in their pricing for the clients to them. Mm-hmm. They know where they are. They know where we are with the man stuff there. Yeah. But then it's it really the lumber volatility always used it. If you're a fisherman and you go in the ocean and fish for a living, you gotta accept the fact there is a storm once in a while. Mm-hmm. Just make sure it doesn't kill you. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot of analogies, little stories like that. I love it. Most of the yeah. times it's sports, but uh, I'll take the yeah. fishing one. Yeah. yeah the, but but seriously, and to me was for like been doing it for so long. And then when mm. I always, even through the board and everybody keep asking lumber and me and Ramit Manishra, I said, what is for lumber? Why is everybody worried about lumber? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, just I, like it, being a, you know. Yeah, yeah. You, you've said it before. I mean, lumber volatility has always been a part of this industry. It's not, uh, it's not something you guys haven't done in the past. It's just, I mean, yeah. quite frankly, this last two years with the pandemic, I don't think you've ever seen anything like what you saw with with lumber prices uh, this go around. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were serious. But one one that that sort of touches on another thing. Um, it's one of the advantages that Atlas has too uh, against a lot of the smaller competitors is that you know we we've got an ERP system. We've got really a a, a much more sophisticated sort of back office that can yeah. handle 
that sort of pricing volatility better than the small companies can. Is is that not yeah. uh, the way to look yeah. at it? Paul, absolutely. It's the way they look at it. And uh, is you got a much better bigger control over it, much better mm-hmm. finger. Plus, and look at ERP system, when you look at it, by telling me all set and down, it's a $250,000 expense. A mm-hmm. small company, for the size they are, it doesn't justify to have something like that. And it's the same as, as a small company. When a lumber, even at a good process, not volatile process, when you buy a really a good load of lumber, you've got to buy a truckload. So you're looking at anywhere from 75 to the old prices was about $150,000, $200,000. And mills, they don't care. They already have demand for that product. They need money less than 10 days or 10 days. As an operation, when you're waiting for your receivable 60 to 90 days and you have certain amount in line and you're so busy and all of that stuff, you can't just keep going and buying $150,000, $200,000 truckload of lumbers all the time and pay for it. So then you have to play with your cash flow. You have to buy according to cash flow. And when it comes, when you have orders doing, and at that Monday morning, you need to order the truckload, the price doesn't, it's number one, it will keep you awake, but the demand and supply is your number one concern. With us, when we get the discount from paying so fast, and we have such a big buying power, then we were able to do the vendor management inventory for us. That takes all of that away from us because that vendor knows once they send us an invoice for whether it's hundred grand, two or three hundred thousand dollars, they're gonna have the money, mm. and that makes a huge difference to our business. Then we manage it because our cost, whether it's high or low, or cost is set. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. You no, know, you can deal with it if it's high. You can deal with it if it's low. But when the fluctuates every day, that's when it drives you crazy. Mm. So our cost is set based off that. And then at the end, it paid off. Like I, was, I doubted it at first because I've never done it before. But at the end, all you can do is look at your result mm-hmm. and see how it is. Yeah. Now, now Hadi, um, in one of our discussions, we actually talked about uh, in sort of the environment around uh, I, lumber, but material pricing. The environment's different now than it was two years ago, and maybe even different than it was pre-pandemic in that some of your suppliers, everything from EWP suppliers to lumber suppliers, they now have, you know, the, the demand isn't as strong and maybe there's more balance in the market, but it looks like they're coming to you now offering even further discounts because of your, your capability of being a big buyer. Maybe explain that a little we, bit. Yeah, we have, for example, one of our main products, okay? And we had a supplier that we bought from distributors. And at one point, then they looked, they looked at it in the mail and said, hey, this is becoming big. We need to have a mail direct. Or even I said, we need to buy mail direct now because we are not that small anymore. It makes sense. But for the last three years or two and a half years, because of the COVID, everything, even the mills were not sure what they can do in a day. Nobody was sure what's going to happen tomorrow morning. So it's taken a while, but now the business is going normal. Now. And everything is going normal. And then once we start those negotiations that we are almost at the end of them all and we agree to deal and terms with those companies, that makes huge difference for us. Like that is big difference for us. There. And really the, one of the main reasons is we are new. This is our fifth year of operation and the second year of me being in charge. And, and uh, slowly, slowly, the businesses, not just ours, every business 
we are getting ready to uh, to run business normal. Mm. Knowing who is going to come to work, no COVID restriction, none of these restriction, none of that, and none of those. All of a sudden, people buying houses like there is no end to the world. It was like what, buying toilet paper. Mm-hmm. It's not like you want to buy a house, you go to the normal thing. You want to get mm-hmm. a mortgage, pay for it a little bit. There's no more free money out there. So those are the, if you really think about it, five years ago, 10 years ago, that's how business was. Mm-hmm. We paid a certain amount of interest rate. We paid a certain amount of due diligence to buy a place. This year ago was... Oh, it's for sale, 10 offers on it. Let's just buy it. It's yeah. just like, honestly, like it was the first weeks of pandemic. We all yeah. went and bought truckloads of tuna fish, toilet papers, kitchen towels, <laughs> anti-detergent. We panic. Now yeah. that panic is different enough. Now we panic a little bit because there is no more free money around and they charge, heaven forbid, the banks charge an interest rate. We panic in a bit. And then we have too much gaslighting and misinformation on, on social media and cell phones that you see a headline, disasters happening in housing market. Then you open it up, it's all ads about something irrelevant. Yeah. Hey, let's let's say that. I, I, def- I definitely want to get into that uh, uh, yeah. because th- th- I think that's a big piece of what we should discuss. But um, sort of back to what we were just discussing a little bit in that now that things are a little bit more normalized, really what I wanted to, to sort of talk about is the fact that as much as we've been able to, to improve margins, we think there's actually significantly more where we can improve on material pricing. Like we should be able to get better prices for our material than even what we saw in the last quarter. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. We should yeah. be able to do it. And uh, is is I am just astonished the power of how much more you can do because that's the area we control. Mm-hmm. Even like. Uh, we, we decided last month to pay faster, like we pay all bills much fast right now. And even something mm-hmm. that said, why do you pay so fast? But they don't get it. It's over 24% a year to our bottom line. That's easy money. That's easy mm-hmm. 24%. Because you can only ask so much from a client. Mm-hmm. The client has to pass on the cost. And we need to be responsible for the price of housing out there. We can't just keep, we can't let the capitalist greed set in and nothing's big enough and good enough anymore and just mm-hmm. keep raising price. We are where we are right now because of the greed. We, we are setting there. So we got to be responsible for, you don't want to kill your clients all the time because they can't afford to buy something. So mm-hmm. we need to pass on those costs to our clients and they pass it on to theirs. But what there is, that there are so many ways of being inventive in handling, purchasing, processing, everything that you can save more money and put it in your bottom line. Mm-hmm. And those are the kind of things that I am amazed that it's never ever uh, finished education. You keep mm-hmm. on learning more and yeah. more. Like I really thought in this that I've learned everything I would after all this year. But every day I'm surprised what, mm-hmm. what new technique comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so quick question, I get this a lot, but um, really uh, with, with lumber prices coming down and sort of the, the lower pass through prices, we really saw pretty pretty good improvement in volume, right? We are selling more trusses than we sold last year, correct? We are selling more trusses. We are selling more engineer wood product mm-hmm. and we are, we are selling more floor trusses. Mm-hmm. Like, and what was one of those things was uh, when the demand was so high for uh, material and because the supply for engineer wood came down so hard that it was so hard to get product, we started offering clients alternative floor trusses. 
And we have always known it. The floor trusses is one of the best products to use as floor. Old-fashioned builders in Ontario, BC, that's all they would use, nothing else. Mm -hmm. So by necessity, a lot of those builders went to the floor trusses, and right now they will not change back. Mm-hmm. And that is good for us because it's a value added based on a manufactured product. Right. You buy engineer wood, you add 10, 15% to it. You buy floor trusses because you have labor, you have things. So there is a whole different manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. And then still, it gave us opportunity rather than cutting on you, our engineer wood product, we became more aggressive on certain other clients and compete with the competition on certain other clients and increase our uh, flow trusses to them. Mm-hmm. And that's been huge for us right now, mm-hmm. yeah. especially in the West Coast, because people did not use flow trusses before. Yeah. Now yeah. it's opened up a whole new volume for us. Yeah. So I mean, we're, we're, we're seeing more sort of wallet share. So the builder that comes to us now is actually spending more money with us because he's buying more products from us, right? Um, so the volume has grown, not just in trusses, but in the different, different products mm-hmm. we, we also sell. And one, one of the things we also talked about a little while ago is that there's still some other ancillary or, or extra products that we could be selling um, yeah. as we develop more of these products, especially when we get into the wall panels. It's things like um, hangers and specialty bolts and all these things. Maybe talk a yeah. little bit about that and, and what kind of impact you could see that having. Well, if you, yeah, if you take a, like a, a section of a building material, yeah. Or, or any need on a house. There is a certain portion that's got a structural need. That is in, it starts from the footing of the house. That's when you put the footing. That's where all your load bearing stands. And then it started really like I was explaining the other day. It just, it's just, the story is you started your business as building trusses. Then you build trusses. Then you see, oh, they need need for hangers to hang the trusses for it. All days they used to go pick it up from a lumber yard and then they pick up our trusses or we delivered it and they put it together. So we decided to give them the hangers. And for a while we were stupid. We didn't charge for the hangers. We did because they cost about $2 a piece. So we give it to them for free. But now, oh no, nothing's free anymore. Not now. I mean, 10, 15 years ago, it was we started charging for hangers. Then it was, they need a big steel bracket to hang their beams and stuff. And then they will go pick it up from um, a specialized building material. We start saying, hey, we're going to do that also. We buying the same buying power. So we added that to it. So slowly, then it became the floor, the engineer wood product. We did that. Then it was all oh, wall panel. We add to it. But the moment you add wall panel, you see um, there is two ways in the industry how they do wall panel. One is the framing crews. They used to frame a wall on the job site. Then the evolution was because the project was so big, it started mainly in Ontario and certain part of BC. They made a deal with the lumberyard and they agreed with the lumberyard, I'm going to put a 20 by 20 tent in your backyard and build the walls on a wooden table here and ship them to the site. So they are not done because job sites became small. For mm-hmm. You know, the footprint of a foundation and parties, they become really small. So you build it off site and it's more efficient. Then you put them up. But that's still framing off site. It's mm-hmm. not component manufacturing. When it comes to component manufacturing, you, you take a whole building before lockup, you design the trusses, the floors, the walls, everything together, and all of those components, they need certain bolts, hangers, and, and, and still different uh, design, brackets and beams and everything to hold that structure together. Now, mm-hmm. we're able to do the whole thing for them, so you add the whole building cap and other materials to you. 
Now, we keep it what we know best and what is related to us. And maybe one day, when we become big enough, we can expand into areas we don't know that we don't know yet. Mm-hmm. But for now, we keep what we do there. But one thing I've noticed, uh, I want to just be cautious. When I speak to investors, or sometimes when I speak to people outside the business, or even if we see it, sometimes there are dreams and there are possibilities. And there are opportunities you do. But in any business like us, it takes time. So when you say it, and if it's not happening tomorrow, it looks like we have failed. No, we haven't. It takes time. It takes time to start building that business. Same as engineer wood product. We were happy to sell one order a week or two orders a month before. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, it's a huge part of our business. But it took forever. I would get so many times all day. Oh, let's keep that up. That will never go. That will never go. You have to be persistent. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep doing it till the market accepts. And it takes time. But so if you look at the big picture, and I guarantee you, in five years, it's a normal thing. And then we're going to look at everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's why a company like Atlas is so well positioned to be able to bring in new, new products and services because the company isn't dependent on just those new services. No. Like, I think we've seen, we've seen um, you know, examples of companies that have come out to, to sort of magically build a whole house under a roof and then realize that either the, the buyer isn't ready for it or there's logistic problems or something. And all of a sudden the whole business fails because they can't deliver that, that, that only product that they have. Whereas a company like Atlas, we, we already have three legs to stand on and then a new product doesn't necessarily, if it fails, it doesn't bring the whole business down. So I, I love that, that we can keep innovating and bringing new products and, and, not, and not bet the company every time we're doing something like that. So, no, no, absolutely. So, Thank you. Yeah. So very cool. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's, it's like you said, your main core business was trust manufacturing. Yeah. That is everybody in the world needs a roof over their head. No matter mm-hmm. what, anything you build, you need trust. Mm-hmm. And now you need floors and walls. You stick to that, you build around it. Everything else is legit, it's fantastic. But those are all happens during time and it could be some of the fad, it could be some of the mm-hmm. fly by night and stuff. You stick yeah. to what your core thing is. And if you see some idea is actually working after a few years, nothing stops you from buying those people up mm-hmm. or gotcha. doing it. Yeah, yeah, good, well said. Um, okay, so let's talk about, uh, well, let's talk about m a but we'll start with uh, sort of the last, the last acquisition we did was high tech. Yeah. Uh, you've now, you know, we've had it now for at least six months. Um, what can you tell us about high tech? How's that been? How's it operating? Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's contributing quite nicely and it, it's, it was more of a strategic purchase, but what can you tell us about high tech now? Well, high tech, it was like more strategic. It was out of the blue, came available, and we did what we had to do to purchase that company. Location, mm-hmm. strategic, everything. Due to being where it is, and most of the uh, executives living in the same town, we were able to do a really fast integration now. And immediately, but it's the type of business that I'm looking at right now. We learned a lot from m We're looking at type of businesses. We don't want to give them time so we can get a return of dollar. We want to do it in a way that immediately when we change over in the morning, we get a return on our dollar. It's a pretty tough task, but we're doing it, okay? So high tech was like that, and we were able to do it. 
and it's been an amazing, pleasant surprise for us. Like um, the efficiencies we brought to that place in cutting labor and, and bringing the more moderate efficiencies and KPIs there is amazing. And what we do with it. And the other thing was, it was a perfect timing for us that they took a lot of orders on, uh, from Nanaimo's hand because we were absolutely bursting at the scene there. And they helped us out there. And so it's become a very, very um, synergy between the two companies building product mm -hmm. for each other and what they best at and what we best at. And they're growing it. And it's given us actually lots of possibilities to opening up a whole different marketplace for us down there mm -hmm. because of the way we... You see, you coming from a culture of nothing wrong with it. It's amazing what they had there, but there was a culture they only wanted to work eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. We work 24 hours if we can. Mm -hmm. And how, how, so bringing yeah. that to it is amazing. Yeah. How much, how much do you think it contributed, um, like over and above? I, I think it was doing about $5 million a year when we bought it. I mean, can you, can you give some sort of sense of what it's doing now? What, what sort of run rate is it doing? Runway, I think, is about seven million. Yeah, okay, and what it does for margins and the most capabilities on um, it's amazing. It just it gives us a more more uh, opportunity to manufacture more mm -hmm. and reach out more clients and stuff. Yeah. That is a whole different. That one I can't tell you yet till I see at the end of it. All I know, for example, then I was doing amazing. We had the best couple of months ever from mm -hmm. the Nanaimo plant. Yeah. And it's weird, you do one acquisition and something, it's just only because they took so many orders off our hand and they did yeah. it for us too. Yeah. yeah. And, and it, what was interesting too is, and this is this is not uncommon, um, like they really didn't have a sales team at all. Like they were no. just existing on, you know, repeat referrals yeah. and, and customers like that. So the ability to use the Nanaimo sales team and their capacity was really a, you know, yeah. a, a blessing to, to have that yeah. to come together. Absolutely. And it gives us now more confidence into uh, for our Salesforce to go actually more aggressive on other clients that mm -hmm. we really didn't want to do because you can't deliver. And, you know, sometimes when you have a new client, you've got to service them properly. You've got yeah. to deliver on time. It's no good getting a client and not taking care of them properly, you know. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know how we were going to do it with supply, labor, everything. Mm -hmm. And with the high-tech plant, it's given us that. Because the machinery there was pretty automated plant. Because, yeah. like I was really, I knew about it, but till you go see it, when I make my first visit to the plant there and to look at machinery, I was very impressed what they had there. Mm -hmm. and, and my biggest concern when we bought it was how do we change the culture into being able to work 24 hours a day, factory. Mm -hmm from eight hours and it's yeah. happened and, and I'm proud of those people. They're like, they're great. Yeah. They are very, very good and they love it. Actually, they're, yeah. they're really good. Thing. And we have a good ops manager that, that he does amazing with. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was, that was a, that was a brilliant move. And I think it's, it's clearly showing that it's working well for the business. Um, Thank you. Well, let's, let's talk about next sort of steps. Um, you know, what, what does the environment look like for M&A right now? Uh, MMA six months ago, he asked me, he said, it's time to fold it for a while because yeah. everybody, it was like housing prices stopped. Everybody yeah. thought their business, they're rocket scientists. Now yeah. it's absolutely amazing. Like I'm actually getting tired flying all over the place right now to tell you the honest <laughs> And there are, I am really excited about MMA right now. It's some great opportunities come, come our ways and we work our hard like we've done before trying to cash into that. Are we paying the multiple still always the same, 
But are we paying more because of the last two years in the industry? Everybody's had a good run, yes, but good on them. That's what they deserve, and it is what it is there. And, but I wish the multiple hour price was the same. And like, say we pay anywhere from, high tech was different, but we pay anywhere from three to four multiple, including the land and building, or around three. But our pricing in the market, or company is worth what time and a half right now. I don't know mm -hmm. what it is now after a couple of days, but our company was time and a half. We paying three, mm -hmm. and and the other thing I've got to be careful with that pricing and stuff now, because of you see five years ago nobody wanted to buy a trust plan. Mm -hmm. There was a couple we bought. They were on the market for sale and nobody touched them, and the the ad had run out. Now the moment there is a trust plan for sale everywhere. And because one of public trading, the news is all over the world. Mm -hmm. And now every time I go bid on something, there are three or four private equity funds after it. Now, I'm not worried about competition. If there's something good, we will get it. Mm -hmm. It was the same as high tech or whatever comes up. But because we are trust people, we are not a private equity. We are public. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But still, I wish our pricing for our company was as level. Otherwise, we just keep buying assets. Shares of well, yeah, well, let's talk about that because we, we've had this discussion before. Um, there, there's always been competition, more or less, in some of the, the, the better sort of businesses for sale. But it's interesting that they keep coming back to somebody who has run in the industry before because we have competed against private equity and even at the, almost the same pricing, still win because there is a, there is a concern that these businesses don't fail and that the employees you know, still continue to do well. And there's there's been a history of, you know, sort of inexperienced people coming in thinking they can run this business and all of a sudden the founder has to come back and save it again. Maybe yeah. talk to that a little bit. What there is, uh, uh, I've got to be careful because uh, you want to be a little bit politically correct to this, there's no way in Vancouver, right? So uh, there is, I understand business. We are a publicly trading company. We answer to the investors. We use their money. They trust us to do a job. I understand all of that, and they all need to have a return on their money and investment, right? But as a blue-collar worker in a trust plan, they don't really give a damn about that. All they care about is working for somebody who pays them on time, takes care of them, and appreciates what they do because they are hard-working blue-collar mm -hmm. people. All you need to do, if they've been there more than five years, go look at the fingers and their hands. You will see what a wet lumber, handling wet lumber does mm -hmm. do. I'm not saying they're doing it, but I've had it before. Some companies we bought that when the private equity firm, maybe they're just another version of being a banker. Never touch the lumber in their life. Mm -hmm. They go there and all they talk about percentage this, percentage this, and all these logos, uh, all these lingo, the legal accounting lingo. Mm -hmm. That is a total different English. And people start getting headaches. And when they come and tell you, and then, hey, this saw broke and it costs $450,000 to make to buy a new one. Mm -hmm. Now, I look at it, we just spent two, bought two of them right now, and they don't get delivered to six months. Now we got lucky, one of them is going to get delivered faster. I don't look at a $450,000 expense. Yeah, you got to be conscious of doing it, but I look at this type of orders they build in. What is that saw going to make for us in a year? Like you see Atlas's result. If you go back 60, 18 months ago, we bought a blade saw for $450,000. The result's paying up right now. Mm -hmm. 
So when you look at all of that stuff, then you say we need that machinery because I've worked with those stars before. We mm. have worked, the mix work. We see how the return comes. As managing numbers only and having to pay up, uh, interest to the investors every month and all of that because it's a bank, right? Mm. And so managing all of that, coming from that sometimes, you don't, you don't make a snappy decision like that right away. Now, have we made the decisions like that before fast? No. Because we didn't have that much money in the bank. Mm. And mm. where you put it in the bank. And at the end, really, is like when it's not that we do any better. When I'm visiting a trust plant or I see an owner, and when I go look at the machinery, the type of language I speak with them, what I ask them, what do I do, and they hear the story, the life story, and the legacies we're building, they want to be a part of this because it's, it's interesting. Like, the last one I met, first thing he did was, and he's a top guy. He gives me a hug and he says, if nobody was around, I give you a kiss. I said, why? He says, my dad tried to sell the business. Everybody laughed at him. I advertised it. There were 10 people right away talking to me. And I knew all of it is because of what you guys doing in the marketplace. Thank you. Wow. Wow. And you see what I'm saying? Because yeah. our business Finally, people realize what kind of business we do. We are not mm. just a bunch of lumber mm. handlers and sticking yeah. wood together. It's yeah. sophisticated and it's a, you can make good money by using good business practices there. Yeah. So that's what happens. And at the end, Paul, my experience had been with what it's like the long-term goals, long-term plan. Now, I'm hoping to God that some of those private equity firms, if they buy business, they already got one because we didn't want it. It will work out. But, and half of me, I've always got an eye on it because in a couple of years, you should be ready to go pick up the people. Right. Yeah, we, we, we've certainly seen, there's been a history of, of, like I said, outsiders coming in and uh, mismanaging the businesses and, and all of a sudden they've had to be put up for sale. But one, one thing I wanted to say well, too I, is- I, 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 yeah, Just finish because sometimes I want to do it because I don't want to sound like I'm knocking competition down, but right. you got to look at, sorry to cut you, you got to look at AP. What is your long-term goal? Yeah. What What is your long-term goal? Is it a two-year plan? Is it a five-year plan? Or is this a hundred-year plan? And there are sometimes in the private equity firm, you got to remember, they got a five-year and a ten-year yeah. plan. Mm -hmm. And really, and that's the biggest thing is the most intelligent owners that they want to hand in their baby to somebody safe is they ask us, what, what are you doing this and where are you going to be in 20 years and 50 years? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And who is going to take your place? Right. And who is going to take over their place? And those are the kind of legit questions you got to mm -hmm. ask as your reputation, you sit in there. And for us, when, when, when we look at an M&A, I've told many people, we come back in two years or we come back when they're done. Mm -hmm. Because not now. I'm not getting the bidding war competition with you guys. Yeah. You know, and so it's really, it depends to what your goals are. How are you going to mm -hmm. climb the mountain? You know, if you want to do it overnight, good luck to you. But sometimes my experiences are broken my neck when I've tried that. So Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say, and you sort of touched on it, is, uh, you know, probably five years ago, you were the guy going and knocking on a lot of doors yeah. trying to get yeah. uh, sellers to, to listen to you. But it's completely the reverse now, right? They're knocking on your door when they like. They're almost the you're almost the first phone call they make when they put their business yeah. up for sale. Absolutely, it's almost and it's interesting. It's the first phone call, and I already, especially the Canadian owners, I talk to a lot of them all the time. 
Mm-hmm. But now I don't just get it from them. I get it from three or four different agents. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we've, we've got an example of a company that just went up for sale. And I think three people reached out to me and probably a half a dozen reached out to you. So, <laughs> And I already talked to the people involved in the way before. Yeah. That it was, and it was, it's, it's, it's happening a lot. And I'm, I'm really honored and I'm happy about it. Mm-hmm. Because I would be mad if something came up and I didn't know about yeah, it. And yeah, stuff. Yeah. I'm not yeah. doing my job properly, yeah. but it's happened. And I'm happy for the industry. And to tell you the honest truth, as a salesman, I was worried a bit. I had competition and I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. and whether the prices we go up. But mm-hmm. it's been so far so good. We can we can go close anything we want to. So Yeah. Well, okay. So so on that, that's sort of my next question is, um, you know, the balance sheet is is really you know, pretty impressive now based on the, the cash that's been generated from the business. I think um, we're sitting on over $12 million in cash as of the last quarter. Um, our debt is very manageable. Um, some of the debt is actually mortgage on real estate that we've, we own. So, you know, and leases and, and leases as well. Um, I mean, one question I always get is, um, you know, do we, do we have to go out and raise equity to, to continue to, to acquire businesses? My answer, and you can, you know, either tell me I'm right or wrong, but really it's our balance sheet. We can still buy a, a decent size acquisition without issuing a single share uh, strictly with our cash and uh, in our balance sheet right now, correct? Absolutely, yes. I agree with you. Yeah, okay, good. So, um, so okay, so now to something you said earlier, which uh, I keep, you know, trying to tell investors, Um you know, if we get lucky, we can find an acquisition at three times EBITDA, but more of the acquisitions are coming in around four times EBITDA, right? And that's the private market where these businesses are being, you know, sold on a, in some cases, a cash basis, four times EBITDA is kind of the average we're seeing. Some of the big deals in the States have actually been done at significantly higher than that. I think we saw one or two big ones, I think as, as much as six times EBITDA about six yeah. months ago. We're trading at two and a half times EBITDA right now. Even with the stock having jumped where it is, we're trading roughly two and a half times EBITDA. Um, we've got an NCIB in place. I mean, we can't go and tell people what price we're willing to pay to buy back our stock. But when the market is paying four times EBITDA for business and we're trading at two and a half, we're clearly the, the cheapest acquisition in the marketplace uh, if, you, if you look at it based on that. Now, that's more of a statement than a question, Hattie. I, I said sometimes I'm going to answer yeah. my own questions. But I think that's something that's really important. And, and why we've got an NCIB in place is really because of that reason. We don't need to issue shares to do an acquisition. We don't need to raise money. Um, we're trading you know, significantly cheaper than anything we can buy out there right now. We can buy with our own balance sheet. So the, the smartest allocation of capital uh, you know, I would continue to think is to, to buy what is cheap <laughs> right now it's us. So um, again, not a question, more of a statement, I think, but um, I think you, you second that, that sort of sentiment. Um, you know, we, we are actively willing to buy back the stock if the stock stays cheap and, um, and we're actively out there looking for acquisitions as well. So I think both, both work very well hand in hand right now. Um, Okay, so Hattie, this is a question I get all the time. Okay, you're I, you're a young man. Um, well, trust cool. me, younger younger than I am in a lot of ways. <laughs> but um, I keep getting people asking me, "When is Hattie going to retire? Hattie, when are you going to retire?" 
Um, 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 uh, I um, I appreciate I appreciate the question and your sentiment saying you. I've got more gray hair than before, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least and you still have your hair, so you're, you're doing something <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. But listen, Paul. Uh, I tell you something. I, I want to get back to the comment you made, then I will answer your question. Like, yeah. I'm not avoiding the question. So, two years ago, when we made the change, okay. Like I looked at it, even my son uh, asked me and a couple of friends yesterday, he says, you should be out celebrating. Now, I'm not a drinker or anything like that. I was really happy. Even when I talked to you, I was, I was actually very empowering for me to see. I didn't know the reason because I'm a very uh, intuitive guy. I need to find out why. I don't know why, but I was really happy that our share price is getting over 50 and 60 and we're getting a little bit more recognition. I'm happy. The main reason I'm happy is two years ago when we came to uh, took over, we wanted to fix the business, build the foundation, and build the bank so we could do what we said we we're going to do and set up. So by having the money in the bank right now, having the share price to come to that stuff, it's really, we haven't done anything yet for the future. Now it's given us the opportunity and possibility to strategize and plan and go to the ex exciting times of automation, M&As, and growth. Because mm -hmm. last two years, plus we spent a year and a half catching up to the market and the COVID and stuff. What I noticed is all the money in the bank, <clears throat> the share price and everything, now the real hard work starts for mm -hmm. us. It's given us opportunity to really set up what AEP was set up to do originally, mm -hmm. to do the roll up and become the next point autobody story in the market. Mm -hmm. We are ready to go there. Now, answering you that, there is no time for me to retire. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you see, I am so excited to go there. Now, I'm realistic, guy. Do I keep the pace at the age I am and stuff? I'd be crazy to do it. Like, I would love to share with you my itinerary the next seven uh, days. It drives me crazy. I know, I know. But I can make it happen and stuff. And at the end, for like, so I have never ever thought about that retirement in that way. Mm. Like, that's fine because this is this is a, this is a game of life. Or it's, this is a dream for us. I'm mm. no different to a professional footballer or a professional hockey player. I'm enjoying everything I do, and it's fantastic. Finally, we got the opportunity to do what we said we're going to do, mm. and we have money. We have the foundation. Then, honestly, tomorrow, if I wasn't around, one thing we have. You gotta understand all these results is, uh, and I hate it. It's not Hadi, Hadi all of them. It's Germain, it's Melissa, it's Amy, Manny, Philip, everybody. We have an amazing team mm -hmm. behind us that mm -hmm. they work to carry that, and they all need it. I am one of the main investors in this company. If there's something happened to me and I was on the side and I was on the board, I am absolutely one million percent confident all those people are gonna do mm -hmm. what they do now. They don't have my nice look and my charm, but they will do a better <laughs> job than I do. That, right? Do you know what I'm telling you, Paul? But yeah, absolutely. Now, everything for us been a training camp. Now yeah. it's time to go play. For the yeah. next two years, it's time to go really yeah. play hard. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm, I, I completely agree, and and I've, I've come to know a lot of the staff and and uh, the rest of the management team, and I, I agree, it, it is, it is a team. That's led by a, a great leader. That's that's produced results, but it is is a very hardworking team, and and they've proven themselves for sure. And um, I like the um, 
I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm quite stunned, and I tell people this, that uh, you've been able to really put together a business right now that is... I mean, it really, really does feel like it's just getting started, right? Um, the engine and the car have finally really been put together, and now we're just starting to put the foot down on the gas pedal. I mean, we could easily, easily grow this business significantly higher than it is right now. There's a lot of acquisition opportunities. I mean, we've talked about getting to $100 million in revenue. I mean, that seems like such a cakewalk now. Um, you know, we're doing well over $60 million in, in sort of current run rate business. Um, you know, one or two acquisitions. I mean, we're, we're now starting to set the goalposts at 250 and, and, and higher. I mean, th this really does feel like it's now well within reach. Is that yeah. not the case? Absolutely. And I want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to, yeah. I want to taste that. Yeah. You know, I just, you know, that you win the great cup or you win the Super Bowl, you want that ring. Yeah. And I've had a lot of rings through other sports, but I haven't got a <laughs> ring through Atlas yet. And <laughs> I know where my ring is at Atlas, and I want to be a part of that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay. one, I'm one, I'm one of my buddies in one of the seats, you know, yeah. and I'm one of the, I'm one of the team players, you know, yeah. and and really, like now you said it. Three years ago, when somebody says you're going to be a hundred million dollar company, I would look at and say you must be smoking something. Now mm -hmm. we could be that poor, but this next edition, you see, mm -hmm. you will see. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so short answer is you've got no interest in retiring anytime soon. That's that's no. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay, so what, one more question, really, before we open it up to everybody else is, um, I mean, it clearly, I mean, make, we make it sound like it's so easy. <laughs> this is this is not easy. Uh, I know the challenges you face on a pretty regular basis. Um, this is this is hard work. Um, running a business like this, and especially being able to to sort of fix it and grow it like you have. What what. What sort of ongoing challenges are you facing as, as a business? Paul, the biggest challenge we have is the labor. Mm. And thank God we can deal with it. Now, we got to be patient. We can't panic. But with the new technology and automation, we are dealing with that. Mm. That's been the biggest challenge we've had, always had, was the labor. Like when you're having an operation of more than 250 people and everything there or up to 300 people, you always have the human challenges and everyday challenges become. But really the biggest one we've had was the finding the people who are willing to do the hard labor. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. thank God we have a solution for it. And then we need to be patient and we're working on that. That's the mm -hmm. biggest challenge I've seen with it. Everything mm -hmm. else is just a day-to-day -day thing there, you know, really like yeah. uh, is is. And when you learn to my age is there are certain things you control in life and just stick to them. Mm -hmm. The politics, the Bank of Canada, all of that stuff, just listen to it and let it be. And just go back to work. And, and, just re and you need to react to it. You can't be ignorant to it. You need to react to it, but you react to it while you're controlling your own business. Mm -hmm. And you watch it through there and stuff. That otherwise, really, our biggest thing is just recruiting people to come and put wood together. And it gets tough at the winter time because it's too cold out there, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, great. Listen, let, let's start taking some questions from uh, our audience here, um, and then we can we can wrap up uh, with uh, a couple last questions from me. Um, okay, one question here is: When can investors expect a significant increase in revenue from wall panels? Uh, probably um, end of this year. Mm -hmm. That uh, and then the way our uh, I know there will be lots of questions from the investors, doctor. 
the way our software and ERP program has been the way we are setting it up, probably by middle of uh, next year. And we will have enough uh, accounting programs and software programs that we can identify mm-hmm. uh, what, how many books feed, what product, and all of that stuff there. And, and be able to do it with ease and accuracy. And then we will have it. And by the end of the year, we will know, distinguish what we've done because we are working pretty hard at it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's given us time not to work on that business. Yeah. Because at, before we were so busy, what are you busy? Do you want to be busy on some low margin new product or just keeping them the old product that you make a lot of money and that's all labor and energy we mm-hmm. have. And so we stuck to the low hanging fruit product. Mm-hmm. But now mm-hmm. we're actually working on it. And I know I'm driving my own people crazy right now. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, um, I know that, that was a question that, that keep coming back to yeah. me is trying to measure the volume KPIs and stuff like that. So, so what what Hattie's really saying is that, um, as a matter of fact, uh, our CFO was telling us this about ninety percent of the operations right now are sort of being managed under the ERP system. So we're, we're, we can start tracking these volume uh, metrics and and things like how much is really in the wall panels or or some of these uh, floor trusses and things like that. So, to, you know, the ability to break down how much revenue is coming from each component right now is still not 100%. We're getting there. But uh, probably starting Q1, we're going to be able to break that down to really see where, where the impact is. I'd also say that the wall panels is still a very, very new product. And that um, uh, it's, it, it's sort of a little difficult to introduce a new product when there's still a lot of chaos in the industry. So, as the chaos sort of goes away, um, it's easier to introduce that product. So we're, we're, you know, we're fully committed and expecting that to become a bigger, bigger component of our overall revenue. Um, you see, Paul, uh, <clears throat> if I add to it to the KPIs, like mm. I am an absolute biggest fan of KPI. I've been that all through my life in manufacturing. That's my education. However, when it comes to the public, to the board, to the public, company and to the investors, mm-hmm. you need to be able to give them almost like an audited, credible result. I have all the KPIs to come to running business every day. Trust me, we do not do margin and profits we do if we don't check everything out. But in order to compile it in a some dashboard report on condensed report that it makes sense to the public and is accurate, that has been the one area I've uh, been very, very careful with. And the other things to tell you, I've got to be careful with. I even see it on your calls here or many calls. The moment I answer 10 questions, there is 50 more questions coming. So enough is enough. <laughs> we'll, get it there. we'll get it there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and sort of the next question, um, it will be answered the same way. It says, could you break down uh, revenue by province? Um, same thing. We don't really break it down like that. Um, we, we have access to the data, but um, we don't break that out to the public just yet. Yeah. Um, okay, question. What caused your labor costs to increase from 2.7 million in Q2 to, to 3 million in Q3, um, an increase of 241,000? Um, I can tell you, I can answer that partly. Uh, high tech. Uh, once we took over high tech, uh, their labor uh, component uh, became part of ours, obviously, and that was a, a major impact. Um, you know, as we grow, we add the odd um, uh, staff member as well. So a combination of just normal growth, but the biggest piece was the, the high tech piece there. Yeah. Um, okay. So in Canada, who are the two largest trust manufacturers? We are one, yeah. and there is one private equity firm from Winnipeg, Manitoba. 
And then there is, and then what I mean by that is trusses only and floors, mm -hmm. like what we do. Then there is one in uh, in um, there is one in uh, Ontario, but they are a mainly major lumber yards too. Mm -hmm. So they got four trucks from, but based on the size of it, they have big lumber yards and stuff too there. But based on trusses and manufacturing trusses and floors and walls, we are one. And there is the one in uh, mm -hmm. in uh, Winnipeg area that they are in the prairies and one or two in U.S. And we are the same and um, and then one in Ontario, but there are multiple just private trust plants mm -hmm. and stuff. That's what we remind everybody. How many how many trust plants do you think there are across the country? About two hundred. Two hundred. So I mean, we're, we scratch the surface. Why is Rahil asking so many questions all the time? <laughs> 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 Rahil's got good questions. He's a, he's a, Tell me about he's a, he likes to ask questions. So that's good. Um, are the Clinton and Leiterton plants well positioned to benefit from the Ontario government plan to build 1.5 million homes? Now, we, we talk uh, about this a lot. I mean, everything yeah, we're hearing from all the governments are sort of talking the same thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, we are. And it's interesting, one of the calls we had, uh, part of executive call we had this morning, uh, one plant we have is we are so busy there. We are absolutely crazy busy. And another plant, we have a little bit of slowdown based on our search ship, our second half a second ship. So we have set up a system that they enter product, they ship to each other right now. And so all three of them are set up properly to cash in whichever area they are and stuff there to supply. Like we are one of the main suppliers in Ontario. And it increases, we will do it. Now one area of Clinton that does a lot for us is the agricultural farms that they really get busy with that. And we are absolutely, we are right in the thick and middle of it all. Mm -hmm. And the way we've done it now, like it's taken a few years to, for the ops manager stuff to understand it. But now they see it actually 150 or 300 kilometers, doesn't matter. Hmm. You yeah. see, the, the most difficulty there is that coming from Vancouver Island to Vancouver because you've got ships, you've got the boats, hmm. and those are nasty to transport. Hmm. But when it's land, and especially it's not big mountains and stuff, it's easy. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, flat is good. Flat increases yeah. the geography. Uh, Paul, it's been two years, it's been over two and a half years finally when we talked in Ontario. It's just like nobody questions, oh, we're going to ship from London to Mariquel or to uh, to Clinton. It did, they just do it. Two years, right. three years ago, when I brought up the idea, they looked at me like I was so smoking uh, BC weed. Yeah. <laughs> now they just, now it's their idea. They love it. Yeah. They're yeah. doing it. You know, yeah. great. Gotcha. Uh, Hattie Labor, um, none, of, none of our shops are unionized, correct? No, not. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think most, most of the shops across the country, I doubt there'd be very many union uh actually there is as far as i know there is one on the island in cobble hill that is owned by one of those uh, private equity firms yeah okay a corporate there you go. Yeah. No, there you no. go. yeah it's it's not it's, really that common in the industry yeah it's it's not common it's a different industry we are an industry because every plant has 10 to 20 labors yeah and there's a type of a business you take care of people. There's never been a need and you pay them good because mm -hmm. it's a it's a skilled work. It's a yeah. skilled carpentry work. And the way it's being, if you know most of the prosper, like I know majority of them. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I have not seen one that didn't care about the people in the trust yeah. plan because they were all trust builders. If an owner built yeah. trusses and broke his back and shoulders with them, yeah. you do not mistreat them. 
the time when you mistreat your employees, you deserve to have union in your factories. Yeah. Because they workers need to be taken care of and need yeah. to be protected. Yeah. With our business, it's the way we are as a blue-collar business. You take care of your people. And at the end, if you don't take care of them, they either punch you out or they'll, and they leave you out there. That's <laughs> it. That, that's how they do it. it but, it's, yeah, I love it. I love it. I, I used to be a carpenter. I used to work in the industry. Yeah. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. They, you either get, <laughs> you get punched out. You do. <laughs> I, yeah. love you, and, I love you. I, I love you. And, then, yeah. and that's the part. I've always yeah. seen it and really... We take care of you. Take care of people, and, and and that's why in our industry, union has never been an issue across the country. Yeah. Like we, and we are not that size. Every plant has 10, 20 people. That doesn't make sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, well said. Uh, okay, so Hattie, are you still expanding your automation? Absolutely. Is uh, is uh, is the one of the most difficult thing for me to be patient about. It's it's like that car. It's got everything, the speed, the loop, the noise, everything. But you can't just go have it tomorrow morning. It mm -hmm. takes time. Yeah. yeah. You need to have the driver. You need to have the space. The money's there. But it's the technology. It's changes. It's changed so fast. I'm so excited about it. And I'll tell you, we are one of the handful of companies who can afford to do it. Because mm -hmm. they are yeah. expensive. Yeah. And position. Like uh, money by yeah. itself, we've seen it. Money doesn't is not the answer we've seen some very big money no. spent and and fail miserably yeah you see my biggest challenges or our biggest challenges where to put it when you're spending that and how the output you're going to get productivity mm -hmm. get out of it if you don't have a certain boat footage and volume what is it would be no different to having a car that mm -hmm. goes 250 kilometers an hour that I'll have one. I've never mm. gone past 160 because the police will take you to prison. <laughs> so it's the same. So you set up this fully automation factory. Yeah. If you don't do $30 million a year in there, why are you doing it? It mm -hmm. makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so another question came in. Um, okay, we'll do this one first. Does, does AP have any exit strategy or open to get acquired? Um, why, don't, why don't I try to answer a little bit of that and then Hedy, you can answer this. So, I mean, the, the, goal, to go, the goal to go public was really to be able to grow uh, in an industry that we think really had an opportunity to, to get very big, right? Now, Boyd Auto Body went from a couple of small auto body shops to one of the biggest players in North America and, and literally at one point was one of the most successful stocks in all of North America. So we think we've got the same sort of opportunity here with, with Atlas to be able to grow and to be a significantly significant player in the space. Um, as far as uh, getting acquired, I don't think we're in any rush to get acquired. Uh, certainly nowhere close to the valuations uh, that we're seeing right now. But I do think ultimately there's going to be very, very serious um, interest in acquiring a facility or, or a, um, sort of an operation like this. Um, we become a very, very big piece of a, a long, sort of larger um, sort of strategy. But in, in the short term, I'm certainly not gonna be voting in favor of any acquisitions at anything close to the prices we're, we're trading at now. Patty, any, anything you wanna add there? I totally agree with you. Mm. Like now, we are public, and like the old adage is, everything's for sale, but who's mm. going to pay the price? 
So yeah. whoever is going to come and uh, want to acquire Atlas, of course, we'd be crazy not to listen to them. But they were uh, they were come up with a big pender. So yeah, and yeah. it has to make sense at the end. I am one of the investors, like you are, and everybody mm-hmm. on this call. Yeah. It has to yeah. make sense to everybody, and they, everybody has to vote in their favor, right? Yeah. And, and, and I know it'd be kind of sad thinking about it, by the way, too. Right? Well, and, and I also want to say that, you know, I think now we've proven that there should be a bit of a premium placed on what we, you know, what our business strategy and, and our opportunity is. So this idea of, you know, the, the industry is paying four to five times EBITDA for this type of business. I don't think I'd be willing to sell anywhere close to that based on where I know we can take this business. That $250 million sort of revenue mark, I think that is well within sight. And um, I think we can get there without any really much outside help. So to be able to to want to give up this business when we can see that kind of uh, opportunity, somebody's going to have to pay a, a pretty hefty premium to take my shares away anyway. So um, so anyways, we'll, we'll leave it at that. There, so um, Hattie, there's a question about Gurmeet. Gurmeet just um, uh, says, Gurmeet Dhaliwal just purchased 25,000 shares in November uh, uh, 28th and then sold some the same day, the rest November 29th. Do you know why? I do. Um, so Gurmeet and a couple of the employees, Hattie included, uh, had options that expired uh, during the blackout period of around the financials. Um, so, uh, Gurmeet actually, um, sold a few shares to exercise the balance of her options. So her, her stake in the business actually has gone up, even though she sold some shares, she was selling what she needed to, to pay for the options. So what you have is the insiders have actually increased their stake through, through the transactions. And I don't know if they've all been uh, reported yet, but that is, uh, that is something that, uh, Gurmeet uh, has done. Yeah. I, I, do, I don't know if they all been reported, even mine and Melissa's, you know, but yeah. I think we heard was the cashless one and the rest of us, we just buy yeah. more options. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, okay. Uh, okay, Brad asks, is there an employee share purchase program or incentive program? We have employees and incentive program all across the board and everything based on margin and productivity, non just purely that. Not enough that mm-hmm. if you show up to work, we give you incentive stuff. We work on bottom line. And we have that, that, I love that program, and everybody gets rewarded huge if they produce. And employee share incentive program, that is one of my dreams that I would love to set up for the employees and stuff there. And unfortunately, we were not to the size and a position to do that in the past. And now we come to an area that we need to do that. It's sophisticated for our business in terms of setting it up is simple, but it is with our business because we come from a different background in the industry and we never been introduced to the public trading company stuff. So I am looking at it and setting it all up with approval of the board, but it has to, we have to have a partner that can go around and train our employees into what it's like. It's the same as options. When we give them options, that is the terms of them, that is something for the retirement. They did not really understand it at first. Mm-hmm. And now they started to understand what it is to be a part of a public company and option exercise and all of that stuff. That's why when mm-hmm. you see it, for all of us, we exercise our option this week there after mm-hmm. blackout. Now, I would love to set up that employee incentive program. 
And we are, I'm going to personally, that's one of my own personal projects that I'm going to start looking at it coming up soon. And I was, I was even going to reach out to you, Paul, and stuff and get some advice from you. And part of it will be to educate our employees mm. on what that it is. Yeah. And yeah. we are, uh, that will be, um, that's not one of the things. It goes a long way with employees. It's the same as looking at automation, mm. m and And that's one of the areas we're looking at for our employees yeah. too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, a great so the, the, the key man the key management are um, are incentivized with options and yeah. the 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 share um, sort of a, a employee share program is is as Hattie said something that, that is being looked at to, to implement as well. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. So that's that's the last of the questions from the uh, listeners. Um, Hattie and I, I think you know we'll, we'll wrap it up here shortly, but. Um, the, 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 you know, you started talking about this, and this is something that I, I've been I've been so adamant about over the last little while. Wait a minute, Raheel threw us one more question, so I'm going to take Raheel. Of course, Raheel did it. Um, okay, so with 13 million cash on the balance sheet as of Q3, what is the capital allocation strategy for Atlas? Debt level in Q3 is similar to Q1. Um, I, I think we kind of touched on this. Um, you know, we are actively out there looking for an acquisition maybe two, maybe more. Well, I mean, that's ongoing. The number is going to continue to climb. Um, but as long as the stock is, as long as we're the cheapest acquisition, a clear piece of that capital is going to get allocated to buying back the stock. Uh, there's always some uh, capital that will be set aside for automation and sort of um, sort of equipment approval, improving. Um, but the bulk really is going to be geared towards acquisitions and share buybacks as long as they're you know the stock is cheap. If you've noticed, we've gone from a five percent NCIB, five percent of the total outstanding, to a ten percent of the float. So this NCIB we've put in place is actually significantly larger than the last one. So hopefully that gives you an indication of how aggressive we think we we want to be uh, with that with that acquisition uh, with the NCIB and, and where we think a good portion of the capital should go. So so. Yeah, Hattie, I, I think I covered it all there. Did yeah, you covered and The other thing is, uh, is ongoing uh, machinery, equipment maintenance, and adding new equipment that we're doing that too. There, because as they get older, we replace them. And mm. part of our capital uh, is uh, we allocate to their too. There. And then, like you said, the biggest thing on our plate right now is, is, uh, is uh, doing a couple of MAs. Perfect. Perfect. Okay, good. So that will be the last question. But what I wanted to talk about now, and you touched on it earlier, was just, I mean, we are we are inundated with with the media telling us how terrible housing is and, you know, real estate prices crashing and how nobody can afford homes and all this sort of stuff. We, we've got six to nine months worth of visibility in our business. Yeah. Business continues to look very strong. Um, what, what, let, let's talk about a little bit. I mean, is the world going to end tomorrow, Hattie? Is that what's going to happen? Because that's what I keep hearing. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> uh, especially you asking from a Kayan guy from where I came from and going through revolutions and all of that stuff. That every time you think the world's going to end and life, but we keep on going. Paul, one thing I've learned in our business, being mm. in construction all my life or any other business, you can only plan so far. Mm. Okay, you can plan for so long. And all I can do is like we see what our booked orders are for the next six months or the next 12 months. You talk to developers, the main clients, who they run a business, they've done it all their life. How are you doing? What's happening in the next 12 months? You talk to my staff, and then you make a decision. Then you, you make sure 
You have a few million dollars in your bank in case something like that happened. Now, I, we came to a, in 80s when we didn't have that much population in BC. In construction, we go crazy for six months, then everything would die down for six months. Then when the Hong Kong thing happened and all the money came to BC because people wanted to get out of the country, China was taking over, or population set up, and then all those picks and bounds went away. But the part I love about the country and what people don't address at the moment, we are over so many million short of houses for people, right? We are short that people need. We have opened up the immigration to Canada, huge numbers coming in right now. And finally, one premier in the country that has the fortitude to start telling the municipalities, we're going to take over on the rezoning and cut the red tape so we can do everything faster. And that was Doc Ford in Ontario, he brought it. Now, people are going to criticize his politics. They're going to do it. But one thing there is there, they recognize what is the problem. The problem is the red tape of municipalities that cost everything. It's like when you tell a builder, when you tell a client, oh, the interest rate went up two points and your price is uh, your mortgage payment, you're, you can't afford it. Nobody addresses the question. 25% of that whole price goes to the municipal and the government tax. So that's, those are the stuff. So finally, he's dealing with that stuff. So the rest of the country will watch it. And if they see that it's good, they will copy him. Mm-hmm. And so those initiatives are happening in the country. But those are the smart people supposedly. They need to figure it out. You've got millions of people can't afford to buy a home. And you keep raising the interest rate, so it makes it more difficult for them to buy it. Meanwhile, the smart developers starting to buy rentals all over the place and renting condominiums and houses to people, mm-hmm. right? They're still making money. And you're still supplying them the product. So one day they figured it all out there because we are in the G7s. We are behind everybody else. So we need to figure it out and to make it. And plus, right now, last month's real estate sales, it, was, it didn't go down. It went up about 1.3% or something. Me personally, granted, that was a nice renovated condo. Saturday, Friday, I saw one. On Sunday, I had an appointment to go see the open house. And I was excited. I said, I'll put an offer in, I'll buy it. It was sold already. Three different stories I saw in Vancouver. They were already sold. So I'm looking at it. So what's the story out there? It's supposed to be doom and gloom and nobody's buying anything. Mm-hmm. And I talked to friends up in the real estate. He said, we are used to multiple offers. Ten offers and people greed and they put it on the market for a million bucks. They sell it for 1.3. This is the norm what it was before. If it's a good place, mm-hmm. you put it up for 1.24. They sold it at 1.225. Mm-hmm. Done. And the only thing was the made the choice of the buyer was when the buyer didn't need, had less subjects and financing, they had cash offer. So, so that's the way it was when I was a developer. There was a normal day of business. So this is the time for the governments, everybody trying to put their brain together and figure it out. Those 40, 50, 60 million dollars every week we spend somewhere and we send somebody else, maybe we put it there and put some home, mm-hmm. help people out to have some homes in their thing. Yeah. And lastly, when the finance minister comes and says we are recession and we need to watch your spending, blah, blah, 
they pull up it. Politicians don't go and speak like that. They already know recession is over, for God's sake. There was never a recession. They won't give Otherwise, you bad news. They won't give you bad yeah. news until they know there's good news coming, right? With a little smirk in their face. Yeah, yeah, politicians, Or they throw somebody else under the bus. <laughs> it's not their fault. You know what I'm telling you. So, yeah, so, I, I, no. absolutely. Yeah, I'm and Hattie, I got, I got to say, I, I got two minutes left. I got to, we're going to have no, to wrap up end, real quickly. But I, of course, I say, I'm yeah. an optimistic and positive thinker. Yeah. Yes, I have yeah. always been like that, but I've been around, and then we have an eye on the market, and we have a lot of cash for the rainy day in case the world, and we're going to survive it for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I think okay. the bottom line is it's it's clear uh, there's there's pent up demand. Uh, for what we produce, um, yeah. there, there's there's going to have to be a lot of houses built, whether they're rentals or owned homes, they, they've got to be built to house these people. Absolutely. And I think if anybody were to take more than a 12 month view of a business like this, you can see what the upside really looks like. Um, I'm excited about the next, I'm excited about the next year, but I'm more excited about what the next five years looks like, because I think we, we're, we're on a, a fantastic trajectory um, clearly, uh, you and the management team have been able to show that you know how to run a business and, and optimize it. Um, I'm excited about the M&A opportunities we have in front of us. And, uh, and of course, I'm always excited to talk to you, Hattie. So that, that's, that's always fun. Um, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's always a lot of fun to talk to you. Um, we've been speaking with Hattie Abassi, CEO of Atlas Engineered Products. Um, always fun to have them on board. Um, and uh, for those of you uh, that have any questions that you wanted to ask, but you missed, you can always uh, find me and, and uh, send a question off to me. But Hattie, one more time, thank you. And I look forward to the next time we can chat. Thank you to you and your team. I love you guys and appreciate you being supporting us all along. Thank you so much. God bless thank you. you all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.